You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by HuntStand. HuntStand is the number one hunting app in the country, and at only $29.99, HuntStand offers a ton of functionality for hunters all over the country. Whether you own your own property or strictly hunt public, you can choose from over a dozen base maps, view property ownership information, 3D mapping, local weather, log your sightings and harvest, as well as use their trail cam management software, and print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal. Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Okay, so we literally, I dump, I brain dumped you five minutes ago of the topic, so let's jump into it. So let's talk for an hour. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Here we go. 30 or 45, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. We'll, um, we'll I feel it like apart. it's understandable for people to realize that the podcasts are a little shorter right now because it's just crazy with hunting season and... and yeah, the last month and a half has been just chaos around here. Well, and moved it, in with my mother-in-law for yeah. a week, and uh, but honestly, I think some of the some of the good stuff. <coughs> sure, we can talk it for an hour, and I think it's it's good, and you know, there's there's a lot of meat and potatoes there, but but a lot of people right now are also driving to the farm or coming back from the farm, driving to work. And um, their time may not be as limited because of hunting season yeah. too. So keeping yeah. it short, hopefully, is is um, or shorter than than maybe normal, is working for you guys out there listening. Um, but I I don't I don't mind it because it's it's good like action packed. Let's get straight into the topic and um, preach our way through it. That's right. Because I think I think there might be a little bit of preaching. Yeah, especially week. on this one. Yeah. Um, before we jump in, though, uh, we want to thank one of our partners and and let our listeners in on a discount mm-hmm. on one of the products that there are certain products that we use. You know, I think we said it on last time, but this is one of those products that make our job easier. And we love having products and partnering with companies that make our job easier that we've used for years long before we ever signed any kind of contract yeah. with them. So on X. Um, if you don't have the app, you need to check it out. We've got a discount code to it get land and the symbol and legacy yep. twenty. Land and legacy twenty for a twenty percent off yes. discount on Onyx membership. And you certainly want to check that out, especially if you're it, if you're a private landowner and you're wanting to lay off lay on layers and tracks and share them with people in your camp. I have or or yeah, if you if you have a camp or you have multiple owners on properties too, um, it is one that I will send pins just about every day to people to make sure that they're in the right portion of a farm. They're they're outlining the the this burn unit. They're getting fire lines cleared. I can outline, send waypoints and shape files directly to them that populate. And so if you're trying to communicate with people, maybe you have guest hunters out uh, this this coming weekend or gun season, um, you know. Use that app. The shareability of it is is incredible and extremely useful too. That's tool. Right. Um, so check it out at onyx.com. Onyx.com or just onyx in the hunt. app store. Yes. Yeah. <coughs> in the app store. I will turn it over to you because yeah. you, you had this. This is this my idea. brain dump, and and this is a just as as a lot of our podcasts come from. Um, Topics or conversations with other people, reoccurring conversations, and I feel if it, like if it's reoccurring, that means we take note and say this is important. We need to talk because there's people who are are asking similar questions. So therefore, maybe maybe those listening have the same exact questions, and the this, same thoughts. This is a little bit of a an opinion piece podcast, maybe or a hunch podcast where. I haven't really seen any true blue research on this topic. 
um, directly. Have you, Matt? Like, yeah. There's certain things <laughs> like pieces that we could pull and then make uh, other assumptions off of it and try to connect it. But we, I haven't seen anything that really directly goes into this topic. So um, this is going to play into a, a hunch, you know, of all the years of managing properties and working with different um, shows and, and different large landowners and watching herd densities and, and antler size averages from harvest um, change and flow with the population. I've really kind of settled on this opinion um, and it's and it's really the the this opinion is what we're rolling into the management. Well, I don't even want to call it an opinion because honestly, it's it's not. It's just ba- it's applying basic ecology and principles to deer management. Yeah, that, from other fields. Yeah, um, and other you know other ideas or other management in, in other uh, natural resource management fields and applying it to uh, to this and and this is and by this I mean deer populations deer densities, average antler size. And so I know you may be a little bit lost in that long description, but here's what I'm talking about. We get the question a lot of there's really kind of a couple of groups of people that we deal with and that are out there when it comes to managing farms. They're going, okay, what are your goals? What are you looking for? And one one guy may say something that another guy thinks is absolutely insane and crazy. Mm And so one guy may say, I want to grow giants. Yep. And I believed wholeheartedly I could grow a 200-inch buck here every couple of years on this farm in this neighborhood. I'm in a good neighborhood. I, I have really good goals. I have really good management. I have really good herd management. I feel like it's not crazy for me to think that. Mm-hmm. And then you've got another group that says, you know, I really want to shoot big deer. I'd love to shoot for a booner, but I'm not going to get that crazy involved in it. I'm not going to go completely nuts, uh, but I would, you know, I'm passing young deer and I'm, and I'm uh, kind of just trying to maybe a booner, maybe not. I just want to shoot mature deer. Yep. And I feel like there's a whole other group of people that's like, I don't care. I'm just shooting deer that are here. Like, I'm, I'm going to shoot. Hunter. I'm going to try to shoot the biggest deer that's on my farm, but I'm not really concerned about it. Yeah. They're all great mentalities. I feel like some people, like on the far, don't go right. One end. Don't go I know, right or left. I almost said left and right, <laughs> don't, and don't that's do like that. <laughs> 2021. We should not dare do that. But uh, one person on the side of that that's like, I want to grow a 250 incher or a 220 yeah. incher. And I, I don't even, like, laugh at the 250 because I think it's doable. It's we had that sure. podcast with Greg Lessinger last year about that very topic. Yep. That guy probably doesn't want the guy on the other side as a neighbor. Right. Because he's he might shoot a forky if he's if his last day, whatever. Yep. Neither one of them are right. Neither one of them are wrong. Yep. But I'm going to shift into the guy on the left, uh, or that was where I was talking on the left hand Left hand, left side of my mouth. When I was saying he wants the biggest deer possible. Yep. And for me, I feel like so many people judge those antlers and those kills on the quality of the management, which is a it's a wrong assumption. It's it it's has not a, a little bit of validity accurate. to it, but yeah. it's not fully accurate. Yep. Um, because you can roll in jump out of the truck and roll into public ground in Iowa and kill a 200-inch buck. Sure. You can do the same thing in Illinois. You can do the same thing in Kansas. But you probably aren't doing that in Arkansas. You're right. probably not doing that in Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina. You're, there's kind of like a the corn belt, if you will, where you have a little bit more of a chance at doing that. So a private landowner, and, I, and a, if you're a guy that doesn't care about giant deer, this might not be the podcast for you. But I want people to understand, and this the topic of this has been reoccurring. But where let's let's be honest. Everyone wants to shoot bigger deer. That's the thing to me. When people, I'm glad you said it, not me. When people say, "Ah, oh, I don't really care about big deer," they still would like to shoot big deer. Yeah, but they may not wait around as long as someone else. Again, <laughs> there's no right or wrong. But at the at the bare minimum, no one a two buck standing side by side. Someone is going to shoot the bigger one. <laughs> if if they're on if they're on the if the guy who just wants to fill meat like yeah. yeah you're gonna shoot the bigger deer and I don't know why anyone would want to hide behind that yeah because I would too and yeah so absolutely would, so is everyone else so there's nothing wrong with just you know being in that say category or group but but let's be honest if 
if you had a chance of shooting a, a 115-inch eight-pointer versus a 140-inch eight-pointer, yeah, everyone's going to shoot the 140. Absolutely. And, so, and, so bare minimum, everyone would like to shoot bigger deer. No, no doubt. And so, and I'm going to sound crazy when I do this, but like Chad and I, when we look at Whistling Woodlands, we're like, you know what? Too many people put put so much emphasis on needing to like. It, let's just say all the management we do, all the money and time we spend, more time than anything, in managing our property and trying to maximize it. If our average buck is still 120 inches. We're not turning many heads because no. people are like, oh, yeah, you guys killed a nice buck. So what? 120 right. inches can be killed can, almost anywhere. I, can, I don't even say – you can't even say I can grow that anywhere. I could find that anywhere. Yeah. You can go anywhere, carve out a couple hundred acres, and, and likely kill do, that. Do that routinely. With, with the, yeah. you know, a good game plan. And so we're going, all right, this is going to be tough at the beginning, but we want to – grow bucks that are big bucks anywhere in the country. And donuts probably maybe gave us false expectations or what we feel like he gave us realistic expectations and saying we can do this again. It's, when it's, when it can he, be it can be replicated. When he's a hundred and ninety three inch buck, he's a good buck in southern Iowa. Yeah. He's a good buck in Illinois. And he turns a lot of heads. So we're going, okay, there's been very little management done, and we grew that. Let's see if we can do it again. And for us, I feel like there's so many people that want that to say, I want to kill a giant deer. But I feel like a lot of us aren't aware of how to do it. And not just adding things, but they forget the other part, taking other things away. And well, that's that's where I really wanted to focus in on this podcast topic. We have done one podcast. It's called Addition by Subtraction. And this yep. thought can can go loop into that um, same mindset or phrase. Um, but at, at the end of the day, this what we're going to talk about in, in more detail and in more length and probably use different illustrations is managing antlerless deer numbers. And someone's like, oh, my gosh. Not, and not just that. We got another yeah. spin-off antlers, too. But, but we're, we're going to man. I mean, we're managing. We're talking about that. Um, and and I, I think a lot of people just get bored by the topic. And, and because a doe isn't unique to, to them, it, it doesn't deserve as much attention. Yeah. But that would be like saying to, um, let's say, a guy who's got registered Angus bulls that that his cows, the mamas, right? Yeah. They don't matter. They don't matter in the production yep. of bulls for the next crop, right? That's that doesn't make sense. That they provide a ton for condition wise in a pasture, in a farm, in a rotation, food, whatever, to mom cows, even yep. though they're raising registered bulls and selling right that's their market, yep. right? Uh huh. So yeah. so why don't we provide and give attention to antlerless deer, does, if we're trying to improve buck populations? If we're trying, not saying improve buck populations, but let's say the quality of antler deer. Yeah. Why do we not consider, why do we split them into two different groups? I don't understand that. They are both the same deer. They both utilize the exact same resources, but... But one gets way more attention and detail than another. No doubt. In, in, in even, even in a, um, like a hunting strategy standpoint, too. Mm-hmm. Sure, you can go and kill a doe is a doe is a doe. I'm air quoting that. But like, like basically, no one says I'm pressuring my does too much. No. You know no. what I mean? No one says, oh, I don't... I don't want to apply that much pressure to go in and shoot those because of there's bucks there. No doubt. I, I personally, and, and this is this is variations on private land size, acreages, property acreages, right? Yep. But what I know to be true, one, through research, but then also observations, is the fact that if you own that deer, if you own that core area, 
it's very hard for that to to move off. I think based on just general hunting pressure. Yeah. I think times in which that deer is active, yeah, that can shift. That can mm-hmm. shift. But that and deer that isn't be- leaving. Isn't leaving and going four miles down the road because you just started hunting him. And I think too, you'd have to understand defining core area because I think that a lot of times we would try to put the emphasis on core area being like this is where he lives his life but a core area in my opinion is this is where he spends 75% of his life but there's parts of that core area that he's not as frequent in it sure but it's still part of the core area it'd be like uh, my my house and yard is my core area we're sitting in a corner that I haven't been in since the other day when I mowed it. Before that, I hadn't been here in two weeks, but it's still part of my core area. Yep. And so that's where I think like some of those guys, when they think about, well, his core area, but he just shifts to parts of his core area that is not frequently disturbed or that you're frequently or putting pressure on hunting. He just shifts when he's, he just may not be moving as much during the day, but, but this whole like idea of just comp- in in a this is not like an absolute at all because deer do crazy and silly things. I know there's someone out there listening saying, I started hunting this buck and my neighbor three miles down the road shot him. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, that that does happen. But in general, I think we over we overestimate the amount of pressure we put on deer because we're so worried about the individual buck. That it yeah. goes too far. It goes to an extreme that we forget about managing the rest of the herd. No doubt. Like no doubt. Oh, I can't do that. But you'll rot, run in this and check all your cameras. Like, what's the difference between you going and checking a camera and driving through the whole farm? Yep. Versus you going into one spot with the right wind and hunting. No doubt. Like the deer doesn't know what you're doing. They just know you're there. It's a presence. Yep. So so that's where I'm just like, we, we, we kind of can over, oh, well, you're hunting. You hunted last week in that same spot. Yeah, but you ran and checked cards twice during the week. Mm-hmm. What's Guys, what's the difference here? Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying, in general, we can overestimate w- the pressure, I think, that we can put on an area. And as a managing, what that goes back to is then decreases our ability to think that we can manage more than what we can. No doubt. And so in my head this podcast was like that's so a scary wanna, place to be you want to grow giant deer like so your goal is giant deer and by giant <coughs> I mean you want boon and crop booners or bigger net boons net boons <laughs> and and I've so I'm going to try to lay out a few of those key elements in in the next 30 minutes or 20 minutes of of this of growing giants we just talked about um, the does. So number one, when you see people killing giants, and this isn't always the case. I can't throw out absolutes here. But if you see a place that's growing giants and killing giants, it, we're not talking about the killing, but we're talking about the growing of them. The killing of them is later on in, in podcast, But growing them really comes down to you're trying to give as much resource to this specific deer or these deer to where they can express much of their potential, really express their genetic potential, but not be stressed in other ways. And so the big thing here is, okay, you don't see giant deer consistently year after year after year being grown in areas where the population is too high. So we've said this again, but I'm going to reiterate. If you're growing giant deer, one of the biggest rules is to maximize the production of your habitat. That looks like every acre has benefit from January to December of forage and cover combination, in my opinion, where there is something benefiting them to where they can make a living in that acre. So you're maximizing the overall carrying capacity with your habitat on your farm. And then also, you're looking right across and going, but your herd population is below carrying capacity. So so to apply number to that, what that would look like is, let's say you've increased the habitat value 
and and mathematically or or from observations and whatnot, you feel as if on a given property you can hold a yep. hundred deer. That's what you're carrying. Let's just say real quick, we're taking some of the research done by University of Tennessee, and we're saying that Oldfield can provide this much forage. I'm just I'm even even yeah. more simple than that. You're just saying this property, wherever has, it may be, has enough food to yeah, feed to feed a hundred deer. And it's got enough size and everything. Yeah. Regardless that that is the that is where you you should probably be holding the population, or you could hold where yeah. all the resources are available to every single individual within that herd of a hundred. Yeah. That doesn't mean that you. Sh- what we're saying is to maximize that property is is actually have a carrying capacity at seventy five. No doubt. Seventy five or deer, lower. Or yeah. right, potentially or lower. But it's so, going to be very hard to go lower than seventy five or or get way down there. Because the the natural instinct of those deer is to Reproduce. populate that area because as, there's as, plenty of resources. Yeah. As individuals, and <laughs> oh gosh, we hadn't even talked about this one. Um, but as we as we're talking about, you know, a, a deer's body responding to um, ample food supply, yep. low stress environments, right? Their productivity is certainly going to increase. So what what gets me is when hunters who are trying to harvest bigger deer, these giants in whatever respective region that you're in, they're like, well, I, I tried shooting does, but they just kept, they just kept making more. So, so let me get this right. You went in, started shooting does because you knew that was, you know, important to do. And then they started having twins, maybe a triplet, but but more or less, you went from let's say 0.8 in the fawn recruitment to one and a half was was now your average when you started shooting does, and then the, for the next couple years, you got irritated that the that the animal as a group, the deer on your property that you're trying to manage, responded positively to your management. So you you get mad at the does for their bodies being improved over an overall health and reproduction standpoint because you have forgotten that or you've separated them from the actual buck and you're seeing improving um, antler quality in your bucks, but you're mad at the does. No doubt. What did you expect to happen? Yep. Of course that's going to happen. But why? Why? I think it's just silly that we could get um, frustrated by the fact that they're going to reproduce more. Because that's a they po- got healthier. Right. That's a positive. We, yeah. that, that's a good thing to see that um, – Wow, even even the does are responding to all the work that I've done. It just makes me feel the need to step up my management and continue or or just flat out continue the management side of of keeping antlerless deer numbers in check. Yeah. And, I, and I not think get frustrated by the fact that that's the way it was designed and if we have more food than we have deer, yeah, of course we're going to have to manage the overall population because they're going to respond, and and I don't think, I think it's just again silly that we get frustrated by that because that's what we want to happen. No doubt. Like that, if you want bigger deer, your reproduction rates when you're decreasing overall population numbers, it's going to go up. Yeah, and I, it, not all of them are like this, but I see a in conversation with guys who are focused on giant deer. Talking about doe harvest in a, yeah, I'm going to have to do that next year. Like it's something that every three years you say, okay, this is the year I need to harvest more does. It's not prescribed fire. Yeah. This is something you should harvest does every single year. And and this is the hardest thing that I see guys who are focused on big deer, trying to grow giant deer to do. I, this is a bold statement, but I'll say it because I I said it to um, one of our friends. If you're out hunting, and, and, and because of your population, let me, let me state that at the beginning, because of your population and your goals, every time that you go out hunting, you shouldn't be passing an opportunity to shoot a doe. No. That, you're, you're at a level and you're at a point where each opportunity is an opportunity to grow bigger an- inches of antler no doubt. in the years to come. So, so you're, you're frustrated because they're not, they're not to the quality or they've decreased in a quality um, but but you're not taking the steps to get there because there's X amount of work involved. Well, of course there's going to be work involved, but we have to realize that each outing, each opportunity to harvest a doe, whether it be with a bow or whether it be with a gun, is an opportunity that we have to make the the relationship between the farm or the land 
with the deer herd and what we're trying to do with our goals better. No doubt. It's not an opportunity to not to continue to be disappointed with the quality of bucks. Mm-hmm. But you have a decision when it's there at 30 yards and broadside to say improve or continue to allow it to be mediocre. Yep. Yep. And, and, and it's fine to be mediocre if that's your goal. Yeah. And, and there's nothing wrong with that or just average deer. Or if you want high deer uh, observations. That's a great point. Absolutely. But at the same time, you must understand that that will have a negative impact on your native plant communities if it gets too high. Yeah. Your forest regeneration may <coughs> plummet. Your food plot productiveness may drop. All of those things are problems that could – you may increase the chance of disease in your overpopulated deer uh your yeah. deer population. So there's many problems that can arise when you when you stop managing the natural resource, which is the white-tailed deer. And that's one of my biggest key points in this is there are natural resources just like managing timber, timber, just like managing prairie, just yep. like managing invasive species. Don't look at them as like they're a product of natural resource management. They are a natural resource, and they must be managed. And Absolutely. so many times it's like they, they, they get pushed off into a separate bank. Well, those are my, those are my enjoyment, but they're a natural resource. Like, That's, uh, totally. It, 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 so many times, I mean, if you really want to try to dumb this down into something. It's it, like, but, but truly, that's, I, I don't, it's not that I dislike the phrase, but I just challenge the phrase that hunters are conservationists. They are. We they sh- are. They should be. Right. But but we are conservationists when we choose to manage the resource instead of the resource just exponentially grow to increase uh, or to over become an overabundance unhealthy population. What happened to the conservation side of things? Yep. We have to be in tune and in touch with that relationship of land to the wildlife or, or just strictly boil it down to not even separate the two, just the natural resources that are existing on your property that you are caretaking, being a steward of, that is where the rubber meets the road from a conservationist. And, and it doesn't matter if you like big deer or you, you, you could care less. It's a natural resource, let's manage it. But if you're trying to take it to the next level and you're trying to be trying to kill giant deer, manage your manage your plants, your vegetation that's that's available, but keep the deer numbers below that optimal level. Uh, let me say this: maximum number of deer and an optimal number of deer are two different things. And if you want, let's say. Com- we talked about pre-show, but um, the the comparison of a closed system like a pond, when you're managing it and you're stocking it, you have the option to say, do I want a high catch rate or do I want to catch giant bass? Same thing. If you uh, want, you're going to steal my point I'm now. Not. That's my next one. I was going to play <clears throat> something for you here. Hold on. Eat I want deer to get fat and sassy. Yeah. yeah. But but the thing is, you can't to to have a max population. You're going with the with the idea of I want the the lots of deer, lots of shot opportunities. Yeah. But that means you should take the shot opportunities. Number one. Yeah. But but the other, op, you know, if you're going to the optimal range, that means you could have more deer on your property, but you're managing it in in a way. That is going to allow those deer, those individuals who are going to persist in the population, so they're going to get to an older age class, to be optimal condition level. That's where consistent properties are throwing out really big deer, where they're managing for an optimal and not a maximum. Yeah, but there are way more properties at or above a maximum than an optimal. Yeah, we see that all the time. So we're saying if you're at a maximum number of deer come down to the optimal or vice versa maybe you need some more deer maybe you don't have enough in a in a population um but that's very restricted not many regions of the country are are that or fall in that category but you could Mm -hmm. regardless think think of optimal numbers not what you maximum maximum numbers right and and we've seen that on properties we've been to and worked in in (laughs) observations where you can see where a lot of really good habitat management has gone on. Um, 
there's there's you know they're increasing the carrying capacity with their work yep and you can see the population grow right along with it mm-hmm. they're they grow right behind that increase in productiveness or increase in carrying capacity based on the habitat work and then all of a sudden the habitat can't get any higher or it stops getting higher because they stop doing the work and then here comes the big beast of the deer population <laughs> to just <laughs> yeah, <laughs> chomp it away <laughs> and then that's when you start seeing you have problems but because of that work you'll see a few outliers slip through the cracks yeah. you'll see a buck much bigger than what they've been seen in the past. And you're like, oh, they're doing something right. Well, how come it's one every five years? Well, that that was my point. You brought up like uh, southern southern Iowa, and so I know I know people out there thinking when when you were talking about that is, well, in southern Iowa every year there are, there are a lot of deer. I mean, there's a yeah. ton of deer, but but they're killing giants. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, they are. But that's not the question. The question is, okay, if they have such a high deer population and a potential carrying capacity with the with the amount of food available during some portions of the year, how do we know that there couldn't be more? Yep. How many bucks are of uh, that are getting to four and a half or five and a half are never being harvested? How many are not making it to 160 inches? Because I'm 100% positive that they're there. Yep. But you don't hear about them. You don't see them. You just know that, yeah, there's enough that that area or that region every year does kill 190 to 200 plus inch deer. Well, but we, how many don't get there? How many yep. could have gotten there if it was managed at an optimal state opposed to just free willy? And it could be genetics as well. <clears throat> That's one thing that we can't see. But no. it could be the difference between how come that person and that or that brother and that brother they grew up in the exact same household they ate the exact same meals but one of them's six three and the other one's five ten yeah i'm almost described i think my brother's actually six two he's well over 200 pounds not not in a fat joke kind of way but he's just a lot bigger than i am right what's the difference everything yeah yeah Genetics and yep. the same thing with bucks. They could have the same thing, so that's why you can't look at the individuals. You have to look at the herd. You have to look at the population. And there's the oldest one. Looks like she just woke up from the nap, <laughs> staring out the window Hi. at us in the backyard, going, "I'll guarantee you, I won't come outside, Daddy. I won't come outside." Um, but that's to me one of the big things where I don't rip on Southern Iowa because I'm. I'm upset or I'm like, oh, they're not doing it right. I I rip on Southern Iowa because I feel like we don't realize how much better it could be. The po- the habitat's not that great. The herd is too overpopulated. There's a ton of deer. Ton of deer. Ton. And the and 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 they're still giants. So yep. it's just like, oh my gosh, even as bad as it is, they're still giants. Well, and and I think that there is um th- there's a quote and I and I cannot recall it completely. Um, but but essentially, it's an, an Aldo Leopold quote of just a harmony with the land. Yeah, and just like um, harmony with a good friend. Yeah, like mm-hmm. it, we've got to find that, and this is what we're talking about: that the equation to have really healthy populations means we have to have and find this harmony. And when we're solely focused on on one percent of a population we're out of balance and that's not harmony and again i'm not saying that that's wrong the quote is harmony with land is like harmony with a friend you cannot cherish his right hand and chop off his left that to say you cannot this was about prey and predators you cannot love game and hate predators land is one organism right but we can't love trophy giant bucks and 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 hate does Mm -hmm. we've got to find that harmony back and forth between the two and 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 when we do and you keep it at that optimal state you're gonna produce some fantastic deer on a continual basis so yeah we're just talking about being stewards of that resource but but the the cool thing is, is when there is that harmony reached, they're giant. No doubt. And, and it, it's just, we know that that's the case because that's, that's the way biology and natural and resources work. The, and the thing that's that's crucial to understand when you're managing for giant bucks or managing for bobwhite quail is that the landscape is ever-changing. So it it's not to be. It's not something you do and then you sit back and enjoy. It's something you're doing while also it's enjoying. An 
and it's not a destination. Yeah, it, it it just is a lifestyle of your your continuing harmony after. Let's say you re- you reach this optimal har- harmony between yeah. the land, right, and wildlife, right? You, you reached it. You're there. You don't stay there because everything else changes in in the natural world. We mm-hmm. know that growing seasons, amount of food, mass years, whatever, that's going to change. So we just have to be yeah. trying remain yeah. and, and stay in sync with it all. So I say this. And Chad and I have told each other this a lot. We want what few have, <coughs> so we have to do what most yeah. won't. Yeah. And when I say that, and when Chad and I say that to each other, is we want giant deer, so we have to do things that most won't. And that means we have to continue shooting does and keeping the population manageable. And shooting deer, excuse me, and not shooting some bucks, knowing full well and risking the fact that, sure, he could get shot by a neighbor. No doubt, and and, and you're so going to have th- that. this is a multi-step phrase here or or, or statement because we are going to shoot does to keep the population down. We are going to do everything we can on the landscape to improve the habitat to a point where it is leaps and bounds higher carrying capacity than anywhere in the in the neighborhood yep and and i think if you just drove through the place you would see some places and you'd be like whoa this looks totally different than any place i've been that's because we are looking different and being more productive than anywhere else around us and then the flip side of that like you said we have to pass deer that most would shoot Mm-hmm. And that hurts. That's the one that hurts the most because we've got a couple of four-and-a-half-year-olds on the farm right right now, and a new one showed up that I, yep. I believe is old for at least four-and-a-half. They were like, I want to give them another year because, in my opinion, I think if you're really wanting to see full production, five-and-a-half is the number to go for. And I know some guys in Iowa go for six and a half, I think, from what I've been told. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people think it's four and a half, but when you look around at the guys who truly kill giants, the Mark Durys, Lee Likoskis, Greg Glessingers, and there's there's several others. No offense if I didn't list you, but those are the three. Yep. Uh, I, and we say Greg because he's a client, and, I mean, he's done stuff that most people haven't um, when it comes to he's killing giant deer. Killing when kill. 239, a 233, a 202, all in, in three, four years, four, four years, yeah. and a 193 the year that he didn't kill the 200. Like, he's yeah. doing things a lot of people haven't touched. Yeah. Um, when you see what they're doing, they're shooting five and older, or even six and older. Mm-hmm. I think that, that that's something they're doing that you have to look at and say, there's got to be some validity to that. There has to be something going on with that number that allows them to really see if that four-and-a-half-year-old turning into five is the giant. And if you don't get him at five-and-a-half, you get him at six-and-a-half, and and he's put on a few more inches or character. Yeah. And 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 based on my experience, what I've seen is at four, they look really good um, and can look really good. But at five, it's like add mass, maybe some more beams, maybe some more tines, add some character, add some more kickers or different things. And I feel like on our farm, it's like, let's do it. It's going to suck. Neighbors are going to shoot four-and-a-half-year-old deer. Yep. But if we're not doing it and we've got a nice piece of ground now that I feel like a few will get through the cracks. For sure. And we'll be able to get some to five-and-a-half and and say, you know what? If you were to get through the cracks early and a few will get through the cracks, not not get through the cracks and and get to to the age. but, But here's the thing, too, with that. And with the balance of everything, that's why there's an optimal level here to try and figure out and reach for your per- particular piece. If you have, if you don't have a lot of deer in a population, yep. the number of bucks that get to that age class because yep. of, uh, you know, let's say you have a high deer density. I mean, excuse me, you have a high hunter density and no one else is following the same rules. <laughs> I shouldn't say rules. Some other people are, are harvesting deer at younger ages around you you need a higher population to get those ones to yeah. the age yeah um, but again if that's the case you don't just allow that to happen yep you you do it in sync with increase in habitat no doubt so, so it, it's again finding this uh this balance between it all but at the end of the day 
I'm, I'm going to say a, another scenario that I know probably may come as a shock, but I'll say, you know, on those movies, I'm, I'm think of a few shows I've watched over the years where they're going to a club and that club has a, a bouncer yeah, and he's standing there and they're taking counts and it's like, okay, you guys can go in. Three came out, three more can go in. Yeah. I look at that so many, so many times with, with farms and people managing their farms and they've, they've got too many deer. Mm-hmm. And it's not just too many does, but they're full of bucks too. But it's none of the bucks they want. They've got four, let's just say four bucks that are mature and they're bullies. Yep. Or they don't even have to be bullies. Yeah. They, they, they can they, just they're be. just four mature bucks that are, that are lower uh, antler score, but they're there. They're present. Mm-hmm. And it's like you can't expect a really, really nice three-and-a-half-year-old to roll in there and, and not and, and stick around. Like, he's going to roll in there and see all these other bucks that are bigger than him, older than him. There's a ton of does, and they say, you know what? This is a pretty good place to live. Yep. I'm going to get my hind end whooped every single day, but you know what? It's it's worth it. No, they're not going to do that. And and I feel like that's something that when you look at that, like you mentioned high catch rate, it's it goes back to you don't go into a lake, uh, uh, a four-acre lake, and say, you know what? Let's have – High catch rate and monster bass doesn't happen. No biologist, uh, the, the fisheries biologist will say, you know what, you can do both. Because someone would say, uh, a biologist or, or, you know, us in our standpoint would say, I've got the most amount of deer and the biggest bucks I could have. Nope. Nope. Does it, does just, it doesn't work do like it. that. Yeah. You'd either have to decrease the number there uh, of overall fish to grow yeah. bigger bass because they could grow bigger with there's, if there's less yeah. And more resources allocated yeah. to the ones in the population. When I hear a phrase like that, it's like, yep, look at me. I'm fat and skinny. Yeah. <laughs> like they don't go together, you <laughs> right. know? Yeah. And, and yeah. so to me, Oxymoron. that's... moron. Yeah, there you go. Um, and so that kind of brings up the the only time I would say coal bucks, coaling bucks. You know, uh, the, the phrase comes up where guys, when you think coal bucks, it's like, I'm coaling deer eight-point management bucks because I want the ten-point genetics around here. In free-ranging deer... See, that's... that's you, I don't even... I don't... I wouldn't even agree with that term of coal because I think coal is too... It is too tied to genetics. Yeah, 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 yeah. Opposed to... Like... like the, You're going to say targeted removal? No, I'm just going to say shoot them because they're mature. Oh. <laughs> if they're five and a half, again... We, we, we have to look at the population as a whole. If that's the number that you're trying to get to, do you expect him to get bigger at, if, if you let him get to eight and a half? Maybe he might, he might increase a little bit, but th- yeah. is, does he meet that quality? And if not, then he's at the point where he's expressed enough that he is still a target because he's still eating 2,000 pounds of food a year and he can fill a buck tag. Yeah. But I think this is, that, this, this I'm is where t- people struggle, though, because... They don't want to fill their. They don't this want to is, use their. This tag. is getting into a whole other topic of, of honestly where ego comes into it. Yeah, it, it, I, it, I, to, to and, me, and that, this we're gonna stick to science, but it's like, <laughs> we're, if we're a, gonna be managers, then we're managing for for age classes and not for what the reaction that we're gonna get on social media when we post this deer. You know what yeah. I mean? Like if the deer didn't grow to whatever you wanted it to grow to. Okay, well, that, that I, I, wasn't the target deer. I'm going to jump to the other side of that or to another scenario of that because where I'm seeing, when I say coal bullies, I'm not talking about, uh, what I'm talking about is the mature buck who's there and he's he's in the club, if you will, going yeah. back to that scenario, and he's not allowing other bucks to come in. Yeah, and yeah, he's, yeah. There's, and, there's a dominance. So and so. most guys, if they have the population or the, the, the ground that, to say, I want to have giant deer. Well, they don't want to fill their tag with a 115 inch seven pointer who's four and a half or five and a half. But instead, that's where you have to, you have to, you're better off letting somebody shoot, come in and shoot that deer than to just not shoot him at all. Well, and, sure. And that's where I, th- to me, that's where I wanted to hit on that is going. It, it don't if, matter who harvests it. It doesn't matter. It's eligible for harvest. You just got to get rid of him. Right. It's if, eligible for harvest. If you want to, if, if <clears throat> you are trying to grow a giant deer, you got to get rid of those It's kind of like picking, picking fruit at the right time. Yeah. There's a ripe time for harvest. Yeah. And at that point, he's ripe for harvest. Yeah. 
Take him to the slaughter pen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, like we're, we're it's kind of like in in genetics with with cows. You don't keep the 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 bull that's there. He turns into an old bull. He's and you're just like, you know what? Um, at some point, you got to bring in new genetics. Yeah. Because, totally. well, th- it doesn't happen in in wild nearly as much as it could happen in a in a enclosed but is inbreeding. So. You got to bring in new genetics, and you don't just leave the old bull in the pasture with the cows the whole time. And, and it's not—it doesn't even have to be a genetic game, but it can be a hierarchy game. Yeah, a social social aspect to that herd and how it's being managed and and run and who's—I want to say dominating—but who has a strong influence in the breeding the. Um, happenings of that deer herd and existing population we we have control over that and that kind of goes to the to the whole dose thing too you know if i'm trying to have a healthy um population or or uh sex let me get age classes in deer i want in my antler list i don't want seven eight year old does necessarily i want young three, four type age does because they are peak performance, optimal. They're throwing out and can put really good fawns on the ground. Yeah. So so I'm going to be targeting deer of every age class from the doe standpoint because probably I got to start, I'm starting out with too many in general. Too many. And, and to me, it's like when it comes to does, just start shooting does. For most guys, it's like just line up people that want deer meat and start getting them deer meat. Uh, we need to do a podcast <clears throat> to to follow this one up at, at some point of now that you know you're in this situation, now that you know you need to harvest does, how do you do it efficiently? Yeah. Because I think that a lot of people, they don't know how to, to handle that much meat. They don't know what to do with it. They can't. Or- the other thing the too is they don't know how whatever. to set up the farm to harvest these deer. Like lower I, I impact, think, yeah, low impact places, um, or you have those places where you're like, I really don't want deer here, but I keep seeing deer here. Well, start shooting does there. <laughs> yeah, They'll right. get the memo. It's, when, a, it's a great, it's a great place to start I, shooting does. I, I, as I told Chad, I was hunting a middle hayfield last night uh, during gun season, and and it was like I'm sitting in this field where I really don't want deer to come in. Yeah. Like, this is not a place where I'm like, yeah, I hope every time we, we hunt the back part of the farm, we drive through this, we blow deer out. I don't right. want that. So let's get in here and shoot some. Yep. And, and of course, yeah, those same deer can be in the back field. But when they're there and, they create, and, they, and they're offering an opportunity to be harvested, well, that sounds like a great time to go in and harvest. No doubt. <laughs> so another one I have um, is, you know, obviously, so I'm going to, uh, the, the the big another big one. So these are kind of my points on the farm and how to grow giants and how we're going to grow giants and how you see these guys that do it consistently. Um, they do it pretty consistently, but then you might see farm jumping and it goes with the not harvesting does, not removing bully bucks or those older age class bucks that need to be killed because they're just a placeholder. They're yeah. basically roadblocking the others. Um, but the next one is, of course, let deer get old. And so I told you, like, I'm shooting for five and a half. Um, that's kind of the goal. And then the last one being provide everything. And when you think about it, providing everything just isn't food plot. It just isn't um, grass to bed in. It's not just oak trees to drop acorns. It's literally everything they need in a year. Yep. And not just in August to September, but January to December. So we're talking woody browse, herbaceous plants. We're talking grass for cover. We're talking shrubs for cover and also woody browse. We're talking soft and hard mass. Soft and hard mass. We're talking food plots for huntability. Water. We're talking water is another big crucial one that I wanted to touch on. Security. Uh, and then the last one being security. Yep. And so, you know, like on our farm... Water is not limited, but it's not abundant. Um, and that's one thing we're going to try to change. So it could be simple water holes scattered around across the property to where every food plot or every other food plot has a water hole for them to go to so they don't have to be tempted to go to the neighbor. Because every time they leave your place, 
there's a chance they get killed. Yep. Especially during the fall. So providing everything. And as we can, as we kind of start wrapping this podcast up, I know we just shotgun fire hose blasted you thoughts on growing giant deer. And so I want to make sure that we circle back and make this clear to you guys. And let me catch my breath here. And so number one thing, growing giant deer, you have to first have a clear plan of attack. You have to first think about how do I get there? And I think it's crucial for each and every one of you to realize can you realistically do it? If you've got really heavy population hunting population around you, a lot of hunters, smaller acreage, it doesn't matter if you do every single one of these, the odds are against you. And so you can do it, but know that you're really trying to find a a deer to really slide through the cracks here to to do it. So if if you're in a situation where you can do it, this is what my belief is and comes down to one of the biggest things people aren't doing to grow giants is removing antlerless deer. They're not they're they're allowing too much social stress, too much social pressure within the deer herd. Matt, we talked about something pre-show that we did not talk about on the podcast. What was that? If you look at deer on trail cameras from in January oh, to yeah. December, you can see social pressure Within the deer herd, doesn't yeah. matter antlers, doesn't matter testosterone increases during the fall, like you, you, you mentioned. You can you can see the the display of dominance. So so you know that there's totally. a hierarchy in there. Which if there's a hierarchy and they're having to sort this whole stuff out, and they're you see it all the time on cameras. Maybe it's aggression of does over bait sites, mineral sites. Um, that's naturally going to happen. But if it's all the time, then that's something that. Honestly, it should be a key or, or a clue. Huh? Do I have too many? Yeah. Or, or am I art of and too? Am I artificially creating a, a one resource that they're all congregating to, which yeah. is a whole nother topic? But um, I remember one you should, time you, we were, you can visually see it though. We you saw a trail camera picture it. of it was like in February, mm-hmm. and it was just food was so limited, <coughs> and there was like thirty some deer in a less than two acre food plot. And it was like, wow, look at all the deer. And you and I remember going, nope. Can you imagine how stressed they are? Spooky on edge and just like, there is this weird. The word that comes to mind for me is irritable. Oh, yeah, for sure. Where they'd be like, ugh. I almost think of like a, there's a bubble around like an each individual deer or, or, or a small group of deer. Um, you do. It's not like geese where you have family groups come and yeah. feed in one giant field and they all f- come, kind of flock to another to one field. When when deer get like that, they their behavior is weird. Um, it is erratic, and they are hundred percent on edge. It's not a natural thing to have thirty deer confined to two acres when mm-hmm. food and stuff like that is super. I think super about low. some of those late season hunts when when resources is very limited if you're in an area with bad habitat and it's like all the deer come to the field and then there's one doe <laughs> she blows and the whole field it clears and they have no idea why they clear yeah, and, and they're standing up on the hill going what are we up here for i wanted to eat your wind's right but the doe just got super she heard something and didn't know what it was and, and, and they go gone. back down there and then they do it again and it's just like that wave causes more and more stress yes and so shooting does Knocking that population down below carrying capacity, maximizing habitat uh, productiveness so you are providing a ton of forage and ton of cover, a ton of security, ton of water, everything they need, uh, but yet you're keeping the population down below um, the overall carrying capacity. That's a those two things right there is a phenomenal start. Yeah, in, in, I mean basic ecology where we're we've got more. Sorry, dog, dog or dog barking. Okay, we've got more um, resources available, and than than the animals can consume but, but or need. We didn't even touch on this, and, and we don't have to go into detail because we've done it on other podcasts before. But is is the the social stress and the element of of bucks trying to breed these number of deer? Yeah, and and throughout a fall, I mean, we're experiencing the rut right now, um, and. 
there should be clues to how your rut is going um, that you might be able to infer what your population is actually like, you know, boots on the ground. Yeah. How many, how's, how's the lockdown? How extended is it? Are they mm-hmm. actually having to get up and search or do they walk 50 yards and they find another one? Like, mm-hmm. what is it like for you? Because when you have a balance and you don't have an overabundance of deer in general, your rut action is awesome. Yeah. Like, it can, you can experience some really cool stuff because there actually is competition for does. And, and it's not just, I'm going to I'm gonna meander over and lock back down. Walk to walk a half a mile or not even a half a mile. Walk 200 yards, find another doe. Yeah. Oh, look at here. Done. And, yeah. and, and that... that and I think honestly, there's so many people who grow frustrated by the rut. It kind of goes into the conversation we had last week. Um, yep. On on the podcast about okay, what is the rut telling you basically? Um, so if you didn't listen to that, go check it out. You'll learn some insight that will that'll make this a little bit um, this thought a little little more full circle, I guess. Yeah. But you. Your your rut tells you exactly what what's happening out in the population, and you should not be fearing the rut to come and occur on your place you should be welcoming it because of what deer should naturally be doing in balance and in that harmony on the rut or during the rut it's a fantastic time to hunt no doubt so mm-hmm. it's not a challenging time frame it shouldn't be a challenging time frame it should be an exciting time frame to be looking forward to yep so lastly <laughs> i've got let deer get old that's obvious uh, a big thing um, with trying to grow giants. And I, I said it second go, but it's down on the list, provide everything. So those things being crucial in, in my beliefs on growing giant deer, uh, hopefully I can continue to show you that in the future as we are doing everything on this list on the Whistling Woodlands to, to basically maximize and do, do this list and see what happens to the deer population. And uh, – I feel really good about it. I feel like the people that we know that are doing this, you know, the clients that are doing this and killing really big deer and starting to see the the herd, uh, the average score of the bucks that they're killing just continue to climb. Yep. They're starting to see bigger deer, more deer, more daylight. Um, it's like, it, it's telling. It's very telling. I mean, Greg was one of our first clients we worked with and what he was doing, and, and we implemented a plan like this among, I mean, very detailed when it came to the habitat yeah. side, and all of a sudden it's like, poof, the, just he's killing giants. giants. And they're seeing amazing results in the deer population, quail population, pheasant population. Turkeys. All the things are telling, <coughs> saying we've, we've got something really cool going on here. It's cooking over there, and yeah. for, for it... It, it's cool that, you know, as, an, as individuals, the bucks are increasing in antler size. That, yeah. That's really neat. Yeah. But to me, there's big bucks in every county yeah. across the country. But it's, it's, it turns your head when it happens. Not every county, but most. When it happens <laughs> every year. Yeah. And everything else is exploding as well. Yeah. If you throw out a couple good deer, great. You could just have a couple of really good years, a couple of really good deer that made it to age. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. But it, when everything else is telling you that the that the property is working and it's and it's let's say in the optimal stage, you know that that's a direct benefit of of working the land and managing the land with a plan and intensely. That happens. Yep. That's that is the end all be all in my opinion or the the um not because it's not a final destination like we said earlier, but it's kind of like the, okay, I feel like I'm here. I need to keep it here. Yeah. And you follow that equation that we just laid out, those points, and, and you, you, you do that and you execute it on a yearly basis. You're going to be killing really big deer for your respective region and enjoying the heck out of a property and creating memories with family. Yep. And posting some... Big old deer picture. No, yeah, no <laughs> doubt, no doubt, yeah, and not just some deer providing a ton of deer for friends, oh my family. Gosh, yeah, I mean, really, you can harvest so many deer off of a of a of a property that's got adequate habitat to where you may not even have to buy beef. It's just like, yeah. well, please don't stop buying beef. Um, they got this new plant based beef <laughs> out there. I heard yeah, you got to yeah. purchase beef. Don't even have to. Yeah, <laughs> what a joke. Um, and so anyway, uh, yeah. 
Um, but I, I just feel like man, it is a, it's a beautiful, much resource. more sustainable. Yeah, much it's more uh, self-sustaining if you if you get to this level and where you're like, oh, you know, I can take this level of deer out. But anyway, guys, we thank you so much for listening each and every week. Um, yes, thank you guys for being here, and, and we'll catch you next week. See ya.